May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. So I don't know how much you all think about exorcisms in your day-to-day -day life. I've been thinking this week that I'm not sure I know how much I think about exorcisms in mine. Not sure. This is a question that has come up for me because of this gospel text. I know that I still find the film The Exorcist, the one people think of from 1973 with Linda Blair, to be still, like, really good. There's so much good stuff in that movie. I think about the different personalities mixing together at these, like, society parties that they're having on this location in Georgetown, um, the kind of medical diagnostic horror that they depict trying to figure out what's wrong with the girl that's almost even scarier than the demonic stuff. The whole night of the soul, the inner struggle of the Jesuit priest, Father Damien, about his faith and vocation as well as his feelings of responsibility to his poor ailing mother. The complicated, very useful actually way that the church is depicted through him and uh, the other clergy as well that are sort of around throughout. It's it's also just very noir and cool, and it's the early 70s, and everybody looks great. It's, it's just, there's a lot there for me, I have to say. I also know that I, I grew up in a place, uh, context, in which um, I grew up evangelical in the South, um, which in my case meant that it would be quite rare to see someone in church talking about their demon possession, much less see something like an exorcism being performed by a preacher. You might see something like that at like a tent revival meeting, or maybe a Pentecostal church. Um, but not for us Baptists, at least. Baptists, like I grew up with, sit quietly in church, just like Episcopalians. But I did grow up in a place in which the air was thick with the metaphysical. If you grew up somewhere like this, you probably know what I mean, where belief in what loosely we might call the supernatural which of course weaves in and out of biblical or Christian notions of this as well as older traditions of stories of ghosts and spirits and hauntings. These things were all undergirding most of my early life in a way that, as I, as I say, it, it wasn't in the foreground, but it certainly was running subterranean, as it were. There are parts of that that irrevocably, I know, have shaped me in my inner life, in my consciousness, how I relate to the world in certain ways. And even as a person now pretty critically distanced from that world, intellectually, et cetera, et cetera, emotionally, there's still something I find lingering there, if, um, even if I'm not always sure what to do with it. It's not unlike the world that we see in the gospel today, although it's not just as simple as, oh, back then in the ancient times, people were not as smart as us and believed in things like demonic spirits and possessions and so on. It's a bit more mixed. Um, so in this story, which is known as the cleansing of the Gerasen demoniac, Jesus and the disciples have just arrived by boat to this other um, different part of the uh, region off the Sea of Galilee. Their part was a Jewish part, and here they're stepping out into a place which is not Jewish. It's actually Gentile territory. And so actually the beliefs and traditions and even the superstitions that would be at play here would be different contextually. 
incidentally as well, this, this is a thing you'll read if you look into some ancient Jewish history. You know, there's this idea that if you, if you think about what's written in the Old Testament, there's really not a lot of content in there about demons or possession or these kinds of things in this way. And it's, it's theorized that this is something that would have been, uh, would have kind of entered the Jewish consciousness, religious uh, mind, as a result of the Babylonian captivity something that would have sort of taken with them, syncretized. So in this story, which is in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and today in Luke, Jesus arrives, and here is this man who is known to everyone in the surrounding city and country as having demons. And he couldn't hide it if he wanted to. The, the text tells us for a long time he has been naked, and does not live in a house, but rather lives among the tombs. And he has these violent outbursts where intermittently he is bound with chains and shackles, like you might imagine some of the worst kind of psychiatric prison scenarios, even contemporary times. Um, and he's always able to break loose in these fits of strength and adrenaline, probably at a large cost to his body. You can imagine the kinds of wounds that this would cause. And he sees Jesus, Jesus the healer, Jesus the face of mercy, Jesus grace personified. And he falls down before him. He falls down almost as if initially in an act of adoration, but then of shame and of fear. And he shouts at the top of his voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. Do not torment me as I am in torment already. I know what that means, and I've probably given up on it ever being, ever being able to escape from it. So just leave me alone. The theme of fear in this story is really striking. The demons certainly know as they encounter Jesus, they know him for who he is, and that terrifies them. They're afraid when they see Jesus, so afraid that they revolt in this band and we're told that they beg Jesus, quote, not to order them to go back into the abyss. When I hear that term, the abyss, I think about a lot of things. I think about darkness, I think about privation, I think about it being the unknown. And of course, the unknown is often what causes fear in each one of us the most. It's as if the demons are afraid of the unknown and that they know that Jesus has the power, the authority, to send them to that place, if you can call it a place. Whatever you might think about demons or possession abstractly as concepts, language like this is very useful to describe that kind of torment, that kind of hopelessness, that kind of loneliness, that kind of despondency, that kind of fear. There's a way that we can say that and be very anthropological and aloof and maybe glib a bit above the kind of common person's superstitions, especially as urbane cosmopolitans in a city like ours. But fundamentally, we all, probably at least once in our lives, have these kinds of moments where the scientific, the empirical, descriptive ways we usually talk and think move through the world due to some event shatter because of grief and loss because of mental illness just simply because something happens that we can't explain 
and the words that we normally use to describe our experience simply fall short before it. Now you can think of what this has looked like in your own life. You might think the explosive ending of this story is this moment where Jesus sends the demons <clears throat> into a herd of swine and they rush over a steep cliff into the lake and drown. Yet another moment of reminder, the Bible is not G-rated. You can see in your mind the kind of film treatment of this, right, in something like The Exorcist. It's a real big, unnerving turn in the story and I actually kind of love it. I think it I think it's really interesting, those poor pigs. But the real climax of the story is actually after, when we're told that the swine herds who had been present for this event saw what had happened and of course ran and told everyone in the city. And of course, this stirs everyone to come out and see what has happened. And what we're told is that what terrifies them is not that this crazy, unexplainable horror movie moment has taken place, but that here is this man whom they'd clearly completely written off as a lost cause, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and that's what scares them. That's the unknown that they have to look into the face of. That is the shakeup at the ground of their whole experience of reality that the gospel actually promises us, that things which have been cast down are being raised up. Situations of impassibility which seem stayed and ossified because of the love of God in Christ are not so. And the power of love and grace in an encounter with Jesus Christ and all that that means has healed this man. And they don't know what to do with it. And so they are afraid. And aren't we so often the same? It is simply true that there are times like these for all of us, where grace and mercy and healing received come to us at the cost of our certainty, the cost of our cynicism, the cost of our stability, that the abundant life and better world we hope for, each one of us, runs through a dark abyss of the unknown. And that part of the life of faith is cultivating the ability to look into this darkness, not to run away from it, and to find in doing so that we will see the face of Jesus stepping off the boat and calling each one of us by name. So I've been with my therapist now for a very long time. We know each other very, very well at this point. If you don't have a therapist, I highly recommend it. And interestingly, you know, he grew up in a similar context to me. Uh, for me, it was Tennessee. For him, it was Texas, but very similar. And this is a thing we sort of share, this displaced Southerner thing. There are a number of us here. And a while back, I was, I was seeing him very regularly for some really crippling anxiety that seemed to have risen up in me out of nowhere in a, in a way that, you know, people have different experiences of this kind of mental health stuff. For me, it was, it felt as, almost as if my brain was revolting against itself, which incidentally apparently is not a bad clinical description of what's happening with the central nervous system, neurotransmitters, and so on. But it was really troubling for me for a while. And it was making my day-to-day -day life really hard to manage, hard to predict. So we've been talking about it for a long time, and this one session we're talking about it again, and at some point in the conversation, there's a turn I don't know exactly how to describe it, but a turn in which 
in a way that wasn't just him playing a language game here, that's truly not what was happening. He, he says to me, you know, there's something about this that strikes me, it sounds to me almost other. It sounds almost like you're dealing with something like the demonic. And we both kind of look at each other, and, and I know that this is a man who only believes in atoms. And, and we both kind of have that moment of being people in different but similar, loosely called health, helping professions, you know, where we, we sort of realize, again, there's a very anthropologizing, behind-the-clipboard way of saying some, something like that to someone, especially someone in uh, emotional distress. But when I tell you that from that moment, it was as if something clicked into place, and I returned to an experience, that's all I can say of it, at least, an experience of the thickness of the metaphysical that I had known sitting in my bed at night growing up as a kid in my parents' basement, in the woods, in the cemeteries around my home, it, it all just flooded back to me here in, New, in the West Village. And I sat in that place for a few moments with someone who understood it, was also critical and beyond a naiveness about it, but who saw me and who knew what it meant to point to the truth that one can encounter in that kind of language. And from that day, something changed in my emotional life, and my anxiety receded. And I stand before you today as someone who has experienced healing in exactly this way. Which is all to say, in my own limited, humble way this morning, that there are just some places and times in this life where experience is bigger and truer than our words for it, where we have to acknowledge the limits of our knowing in favor of our living, of our simply being in the day-to-day. -day. And if, as people of faith, we don't run away from that, but learn to look directly into the face of it, even if through a mirror dimly, even if sometimes it's scary, even if life itself literally feels like a horror movie sometimes, we too, like this man, the garrison, can know change and healing and transformation and abundance of life given to us by God. Amen.